This is Do We Like Movies. It's a podcast where two guys review individual movies, sequels, and occasional television shows. In this show, we talk about our experiences with them, and we answer the question, do we like this movie? Welcome to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I'm your 25 to life, unwilling superhero host, Javi. <laughs> I'm actually very surprised that you didn't go with another intro that you could have done oh. here. <laughs> you mean, so what are we, some sort of, or some kind of movie podcast? <laughs> um, all right. We're talking 2016's Suicide Squad, uh, directed by David... Ayer or Ayer? What is it? Saying Ayer and no one's corrected me, and I feel really bad if I get his name wrong because, <laughs> like, I think the guy has been through enough. <laughs> well, all right, we'll, well, well, well. I mean, we got we got to talk about it because literally, the Suicide Squad drops in like two days to date this podcast. Yes. Also, David Ayer has caught a ridiculous amount of flack for this movie. Whether it was due or undue, he hasn't said anything until literally the week before the Suicide Squad drops. Um, and I think uh, might as well, yeah, might as well talk about it now. Um, he put out a post on Twitter talking about his experiences, his life experiences that got him into film writing, essentially, and writing screenplays in, in Hollywood. And then he also talked about how his vision for Suicide Squad was completely different than what the studio and how stu- the studio wanted and pretty much how much studio involvement essentially neutered his film and turned it into the schlock that we watched. Now, the thing is, <laughs> if we lived in a pre-Snyder Cut world, I would have been like, oh, yeah, he's just doing that thing where it's like, no, what I wanted would have been better. But after watching both Justice League and the Snyder Cut and realizing the movie we could have had, I am now a little bit more (laughs) open to the thought of, oh, wow, maybe the studios don't exactly know what they're doing. (laughs) I when this movie came out, I think it was like four or five months after it came out, like that's when I had already heard the stories about the fact that this movie was completely taken away from him uh, in post-production. So I've known about this for a long time, but kind of like the Snyder Cut stuff, I was like, well, at this point, enough time has passed by that if even if it doesn't happen, it's like, you know, life will still continue to go on. It's funny that James Gunn is going to be the guy that's going to do the new Suicide Squad movie and that is charged with like softly rebooting this franchise because in my opinion i think part of the fault for this movie being the way it ends up being is it comes out two years after guardians of the galaxy Mm -hmm. and dc is trying to ape the marvel formula except it doesn't make any sense uh the way in which they're trying to do it well, Guardians of the Galaxy and James Gunn really like did this organically and that you know James Gunn kind of got the free reign to give the Guardians the the vibe it had. 
this movie is very clearly just a trying to play catch up. And they like Warner Brothers very much wanted their own Guardians of the Galaxy, and they were going to make the Suicide Squad be their Guardians of the Galaxy. In my opinion, if you were going to do that, you should have never hired this guy to be the one to direct this movie. Uh, for those who don't know or are not familiar with the works of David Ayer, it's uh, kind of, like if you've seen like End of Watch, it's a movie he directed. Uh, he was also a writer in Hollywood. So two of the most famous movies that he wrote early in his career uh, was Training Day in 2001. He was only the writer. Antoine Fuqua was the director of that. Um, and there was Fast and the Furious. So the original Fast and the Furious was a David Ayer script. What? I had no idea. Mm-hmm. So, so he's he's done has he done like treatments on other movies before or like I think he's done and and because of his life experience a lot of his stuff is kind of LA street culture right like I was that gonna is, say a lot of like the the vibe he gives off especially after that statement he put out very much seems like it's someone that's been through the shit but like you know in the streets <laughs> and it sounds like it's someone that writes like the reason why he writes so many of these like crime dramas is because it feels like that's where most of his, like a lot of experience he's drawing from in his personal life. Right. So it's, uh, he, he does good provocative work. And because I was familiar with the stuff he had done previously, I was very excited when he was the guy who was announced to be putting this product to, project together because Suicide Squad is one of those things that like, I know it's been around for a long time, but I feel like it, it really started catching on like, with DC's New 52, like, right? When when mm-hmm. that was coming out. And I know that before this movie came out, you put me on to the graphic novels and the comic books. Um, well, I'm going to have to um actually real quick. Okay. <laughs> but you're right. Like, no, you're right. Because the New 52 really did, like, for the longest time, like, a lot of people shit on the New 52, um, just in general as an imprint. But the things they did do right was the Justice League Dark was a fantastic series that's now kind of like an animated like series that they've done. Mm-hmm. Suicide Squad was fantastic. I think their Swamp Thing and Animal Man early runs were very good too. Like pretty much what they did was just that like while o- overall the like the overall experiment in the New 52 kind of w- went up in flames. There was a lot of good stuff in there, and Suicide Squad was one of the best things that came out of the New 52 run. There's a lot of um, good Batman stories in it, too. Like, uh-huh. I remember Batman Incorporated is one of my favorite, like, stories, and it's oh, and it pretty, was part of New 52. Pretty much, DC was like, hey, Scott Snyder, you had a really good run with Batman. Do you want to write everything? Because <laughs> there was a while it felt like he did a lot. But anyway, the one the one person I do want to give a lot of credit for as to why the Suicide Squad became really cool is actually uh, the writer Gail Simone, who a lot of people on the internet refer to as like angry feminist comic book lady. <laughs> for, because unfortunately, you know, comic books does have a very polarizing audience. But one thing she did do really well was writing The Secret Six and The Suicide Squad, which kind of like laid down the groundwork for The Suicide Squad and The New 52. And also putting it like, which the without that, The New 52, we wouldn't have nearly, we wouldn't have the framework for this film. Um, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing <laughs> is, up to be, is up for the viewers to decide um, whether it was a good thing or a bad thing. 
maybe one day we'll get the David Ayer cut and we'll see that it was actually a good thing. Um, I don't know. But yeah, I think the new, like, it, that's the thing. If you want to see good Suicide Squad comic books and good stories and you want to see what, what, it, what you know, the, how goofy and how violent and how crazy that world is, highly recommend the New 52 run. Um, okay, so the period in time in, in which this movie is coming out, um, at this point, Suicide Squad, you might have been introduced to it uh, mildly on TV on CW's Arrow. Uh, they were they basically incorporated Argus, Amanda Waller, and uh, a couple of the Suicide Squad characters, uh, most prominently Deadshot, on that mm-hmm. television series, and which is, you and I were a fan of it in that second season of Arrow, and... Oh, second season of Arrow, so good. <laughs> it is it is, it is, is one of the best, like, single seasons of a television show ever. <laughs> and it's like, it, it's just so solid that you just never... They could never just capture that magic again after that. And they try, but Jesus does it not work. And they try, and they got close. They got close mm-hmm. later with season five, which I think you never saw. But, um, but it is again, it was a really good uh, series at that time, like in 13, 14, um, around the time that this movie got greenlit. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is that we had already had Man of Steel and we already knew that they were going to do Batman versus Superman. They were putting together a shared DC universe. And it's kind of neat to go back to some of these movies because you're watching the movies where you see that it was fully intended like for all of these characters to live in the exact same world. Mm-hmm. You know, this is this is a direct... Um, like, this story comes directly after um, Batman versus Superman mm-hmm. uh, because it's like... You know, specifically Amanda Waller is putting together, at least in the movie, she's putting together Task Force X as a response to kind of have metahumans forcefully work for her <laughs> so, mm-hmm. because she said, you know, in her words, we were lucky that Superman shared our values. The next Superman may not, which mm-hmm. is it's an it's an interesting like, you know, it's an interesting way to put it. It um, deposits it, it's something interesting in that the original originally the suicide squad was meant to be like just a black ops team where the government essentially when the government wants to take out say a foreign leader or a terror cell or do something that they legally can't because there's all kinds of like UN sanctions <laughs> against like forcibly invading countries. The idea is that you get a group of supervillains, you aim them at something, usually by threatening to kill them uh, through the bomb implant in their necks, and they go out and do it. Ultimate deniability. Um, the problem right off the bat with this movie, at least I start feeling, is that they really hype them up to be Superman killers. And I don't know, like, it's just one of those weird missteps in writing. So right off the bat, like, I remember a buddy of mine mentioned that in the trailer, they distinctly do say that the idea is that the Suicide Squad can take on Superman if they absolutely needed to. And I'm just like, I guess. (laughs) But right off the bat, it's like they do change kind of like what the purpose of the Suicide Squad is, you know? Okay, so this movie... Um, I think the best way to describe like just the night and day aspect of what this movie was supposed to be and what this movie ends up being like to really get a feel for that I I, I highly recommend you go on YouTube watch the Suicide Squad first look that they did 
for Comic-Con in 2015. You know, it was like the initial like footage that came out from this. Um, and then look at the Bohemian Rhapsody like trailer that came after that. <laughs> because for some <laughs> reason, you know, and I think maybe they were already anticipating just how negative the reaction to Batman versus Superman was. Um, DC decided, or Warner Brothers, more importantly, they decided that they they wanted the crew that edited that second trailer to basically come back and do the movie. <laughs> and the reason why you know that this is it is because in that post that David Ayer put up, he said, I had no pop music in my cut of Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. Like, there was nothing like that. And then in this movie... It's replete with all like I, I imagine that there was such a, a budget just just for the music that was licensed for this that it didn't is, even need to be licensed for it. Especially like, for how little some of that music is used. And you know what? It's like if you if you watch like a movie like a Scorsese or Tarantino movie or like people who try to kind of like came up around the same time as Tarantino and they use like some of these older songs to try to like you know like these pop songs to to try to like set a mood and stuff like that this is super out of place and the early part of this movie right away you know when when we get the scene of amanda waller and the two generals that are you know sitting in the restaurant and she's like introducing all the suicide squad like in this ridiculous like montage it's where I just knew, okay, we're in trouble. <laughs> this is, you know, and the funny thing is, I watched this movie in 2016. I went to see it in the theater. I came out of it thinking that I liked it. Same, 100% same. I came out of it thinking that I liked it better than Batman versus Superman. I also thought the same thing, but I also thought because I was biased because I love Suicide Squad. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember when it came out on video initially, like in December of that year of 2016 i was like all right well i'll go ahead and you know buy the extended cut which is really only 10 more minutes and it's 10 more minutes of joker stuff that really doesn't change the narrative of the movie at all right yeah not like the ultimate cut of batman versus superman which like adds entire subplots back Mm -hmm. (laughs) like it is is just it's just not um my understanding is a lot of joker stuff got cut out for this movie uh and there's just there's there's a lot of character stuff that got cut out um and it just seems like this is more edited like either a commercial or a music video in all the worst ways possible that i can imagine i absolutely hate that there was original music made for this like specifically like songs that people went out and got rappers that were popular and our musicians are popular at that time to make music uh i'm like not gonna 20, I'm, I'm gonna fight you on that no, no, no. I'm going to fight you on that because you can fight these. How as about much that? as I don't like this movie, the Suicide Squad like soundtrack is, <laughs> is awesome. Eat my ass. No. It's awesome. No, oh, no, no, did you no, love no, Purple no, no. Lamborghini? Was that your favorite song? I did love that song. You fucking piece of shit. You're lying. <laughs> you are lying through your teeth. I am not lying. I had I'm this gonna, song on my playlist. I played that song in my car when that I'm movie going to came push out. you into the mud and make you. I eat. even like the Imagine Dragons song with like Ty Dolla Sign and, and Lil Wayne on it. Like, that I was, was the worst one. It. Oh, come on. No, Actually, no, no, no I'm no. lying. The Heathens by yeah, Tony, Heathens that one worse. was the worst one. On. But no, the only good songs for Kevin Gates because I love Kevin Gates. 
<laughs> and I think Action Bronson had a song. In the reason why I like that soundtrack is because we did this movie last year, uh, but uh, Batman Forever. Batman Forever has one of the best movie soundtracks I could ever remember. And the Suicide Squad soundtrack was such a throwback to that. You know, it's it, it didn't have a banger that was anywhere near like as good as Kiss from a Rose, right? But it still <laughs> had really humming. good like pop music from the time. True. I mean, oh. I, I'm, I'm just, uh, I don't know. Like the music, sir, like again, the only reason they wanted to give this movie a soundtrack is because of Awesome Mix Volume 1. And at least Awesome Mix Volume 1 served like a narrative purpose in Guardians of the Galaxy. In this one, it's just like, did you, did, did fucking Eminem's like real Slim Shady really have to be in there? Probably not. No, none of the other stuff had to be in there. Super Freak by Rick James did not have to be in there. It was just, it was such a random like hodgepodge of music that it just no it didn't make any it's, sense why that and shit just, was in there but it fits with this random hodgepodge of a narrative that makes zero sense <laughs> so i think with that let's jump into talking about suicide squad all right so this film opens up in the aftermath of superman's death so as we've seen oh, this takes place right after batman vs superman but before justice league so it opens with Amanda Waller going to this fancy pants restaurant where she's meeting with uh, what appears to be like some general or some an intelligence, uh, like some dude in like the U.S. government. And she's trying to talk him into the idea of Task Force X. So this begins what is essentially a 15 minute expo dump. <laughs> Where, where essentially Amanda Waller sets the stage talking about how the point of Task Force X is to take on any superhuman threat that may come out in the future, as Angel alluded to before, uh, being able to take on Superman if needed, because although Clark Kent was on our side, the next one may not be. So she wants to pretty much get the worst of the worst criminal-wise and superhumans-wise so that she can put a, essentially put a bomb in their neck and make them do as they're told. And she has the first three members of uh, the Suicide Squad or Task Force X already in mind. And we get kind of like these vignette shots um, of what they were doing before they got captured. So we have uh, Floyd Lawton played by, or P- Floyd Lawton, who, what is, that is the real name for Deadshot, who is played by uh, Will Smith, where we find out he's a father and a family man. He also happens to be a, one of the greatest snipers in the world, <laughs> being able to shoot and never, and of course being known for never ever missing a shot. So we get a scene where we see him take out a, uh, what looks like to be a police informant someone that's going to snitch on the mob and we have a dead shot essentially forcing people to double his rate because they took forever to pay him in the first place um essentially like force him to pay about two million dollars where he ends up firing from his one of his wrist guns and using what he prepared was kind of like i guess like metal sheets so that way he can ricochet the bullet around and take out the guy uh, while he's in police custody. We later find out that he ends up getting arrested in uh, Gotham by none other than the Batman, 
And although he tried to fight off the Batman, he wasn't able to kill him because his daughter stood in the way of him and the bat. We also get introduced to Captain Boomerang, played by Jay Courtney. Is that who is that how I say his name? Jay? Jai? Jai Courtney. Yeah, Jai Courtney, who is a jewel dealer or jewel thief, sorry. <laughs> He's a jewel thief who doesn't play well with others. And all the while, like we're we're meeting these characters, we get these shots interspersed where it talks about like fun facts about them and like for some reason like they say that captain boomerang has a unicorn i don't understand it's just again it's them trying to it is them trying to marvelize this movie and that's not me taking a dig at marvel because marvel does this well james Mm -hmm. gunn did this well he probably will do this well with the suicide squad because it's a movie that he's going to be allowed to make the way he wants Mm-hmm. But in this, it's just, I mean it in the most negative way. It's marvelized. <laughs> it's its just lol so random, lol so random humor, you know? Yeah. And, and it, it's not even clever. It, it's, it, it's marvelized, but it's not even clever enough to be Marvel. <laughs> yeah, not at all. So we also see, we, we also get introduced uh, through Captain Boomerang in a flashback scene where he's robbing uh, what looks to be a jewel exchange. And he ends up killing his partner using a boomerang. And before he can make his escape, he actually gets attacked by a red streak, which is later revealed to be the Flash. Yes, which so, is awesome. Like, mm-hmm. again, the, the fact that both Ben Affleck's Batman and uh, what's it called? Ezra, Miller. uh, Ezra Miller's Flash are in this movie is cool. It ties it to the greater universe. It's a nice little cameo for appearance for them where they don't really have to be in it that long. And it also just gives you a feeling of, of where they live in this world. Yeah, exactly. It do, it really does. I mean, it does a lot for trying to establish this as an extended universe. Uh, and finally, we get the uh, vignette for uh, Harley Quinn, where we get some backstory where we see her and uh, Joker kind of living their lives where Amanda Waller <laughs> how she says that he's like the king of crime of Gotham and they live like king and queen and uh, there's like a bunch of cringy okay. lines. There's a lot of people that are going to hate and do hate and will continue to hate Jared Leto's Joker and I'm pretty sure that you're one of them. But I am going to go and tell you right now that I am 100% convinced, and he's admitted this as much himself, Joker is really a David Iyer creation and Jared uh-huh. Leto creation. Like, they they really... His thing was he wanted to make the Joker feel like a mob boss and also, like, I, I think one of the things that they said they were inspired by was cartels. Well. Go to hell! I told you that <laughs> when I used to like the Joker, and then we switched because you hated the Joker, and I like this Joker, and then I'm like, wait, this Joker's kind of dumb because of all the face tattoos, and you're like, oh, I kind of get what this Joker's doing now, so don't talk down to me about liking the Joker. No, 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 but I, I know at some points that you were like, you had soured on it. Well, I mean, I'm not totally against Jared Leto Joker because of i think Zack snyder like fixed a lot of those problems for it's funny yeah in just one scene Zack snyder made him not not completely hated not a goofball but yeah yeah 
I see, like, that's the thing. I see what they're trying to do. They're trying to make him, like, this suave, criminal, like, socio, not sociopath, but, like, unhinged criminal boss. I'm okay with him being a crime boss. I got no problem with that. I mean, honestly, the costume design for the Joker is also really good in this film. A mm-hmm. lot of homages to a lot of like different jokers throughout like the ears, but think- it's so loud, like everything around it is so loud in terms of the music and the editing that you can't even focus on it. Like, yeah. there's stuff that I didn't pick up until this time watching it, and it's just like, yeah, it's the production of this or the editing in this is so bad that it it's is. like even the stuff you're supposed to like, you're kind of disgusted by. <laughs> It's just too much going on and way too fast. It's like a weird Red Bull fever dream. It just feels like everything is firing at you like way too much. And it's, I don't know. Like, I just wasn't a huge fan of like the editing, Um, especially in those first couple minutes. Like this movie suffers from a lot of pacing issues. Um, This is where they pretty much introduce Harley Quinn. And I'm going to say this because Margot Robbie has played Harley Quinn in several movies since. And she is the longest running character in this movie universe at this point <laughs> because she has stretched out the most like, you know, she'll, she will have her third film where she's playing Harley Quinn uh, coming up. And I'm going to say that Margot Robbie's okay in this. It's pretty like it, it feels like she's still trying to channel the cartoon a little bit too much. I feel like we did Birds of Prey, and I feel like by the time we hit Birds of Prey, she finds her, she really finds the character, and, and it just like it's it's just a much better Harley Quinn performance from her in that. But still, in this movie, you can tell that she she's likely going to be the breakout star, and this was like only her second big movie after World War, uh, Wolf of Wall Street, so it's it's kind of a gamble to put <laughs> to put such a new actress into this kind of role. And uh, she's kind of made a career out of it, like to the Especially. point where future Harley Quinn projects, like she has production input on it. Especially with like the huge list of people that were considered, because at one point uh, the studio wanted Emma Roberts, uh, which she turned down. But then they had like <laughs> they had Allison Brie, Olivia Wilde, Emma Watson, Zoe Deschanel, Mary. <laughs> Elizabeth Winstead. I, the Amanda only one Seyfried. of those people that I like kind of like is Allison Brie. And outside same. of that, I don't like any of these other names. Yeah, I, I felt the exact same way. I'm like, it's either Margot Robbie, maybe Allison Brie. Other than that, like this entire list isn't going to work. Right. And, and, and you almost feel like uh, you'd feel like another actress or would might be tempted to go too far in the, you know, <sighs> into like the annoying harley quinn voice kind of like portrayal from the cartoon and stuff like that like you needed someone who was going to find a good balance of someone who sounds like the character in the cartoon because even though harley quinn is part of suicide squad she is in batman comic books like she came from batman the animated series Mm -hmm. so the portrayal in that series is kind of like i feel like people will they'll look at like the most annoying part traits of Harley Quinn. And that's what they think the character is. Imagine a world where Mary Elizabeth Winstead was Harley Quinn in Suicide Squad. (laughs) And then we get a birds of prey where Margot Robbie is the huntress. I I don't hate it. (laughs) I mean, but I I mean, 
I'm also very biased because I love Mary Elizabeth Winstead, but <laughs> yeah. I loved her as the Huntress. Yes. She just, yeah. Anyway, I don't want to revisit that movie. Yeah, let's not go too far into it. But, you know, she is pretty much like the biggest star in all of this at this point. She is going to be coming back. Um, the, char- the three characters that will be returning, well, four characters that will be returning in the next film are Harley Quinn, Amanda Waller, um, Rick Flagg. Rick Flag, and Captain Boomerang. Yeah, and Captain Boomerang. So yep. I think those are going to be the characters that that it's it, it makes sense. It's right. And mm-hmm. even though I like Deadshot, I like Will Smith's Deadshot. Okay, I'm I I, I don't like Deadshot that much in this movie. I do not like Will Smith's Deadshot. <laughs> I after rewatching it, I'm like, this is just Will Smith playing Will Smith. Yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's just one of those. Ah, uh, it's it's it was never right to me. <laughs> yep. like, like, yeah, like he's just like the thing is, yes, he is a like Deadshot is supposed to be a a, a scumbag, but he's also kind of a sociopath. And like the thing is. Will Smith has too much natural charisma. <laughs> yeah. Like, you're not really supposed to like Deadshot. You're supposed to like him in the sense that, ah, oh, crap, I guess he's the closest thing to a protagonist. Yeah. And that's yeah. why I am totally okay with Bloodsport replacing Deadshot as kind of like the de facto leader of the Suicide Squad. Well, plus the thing, too, is just... I feel like by this point, Will Smith had kind of, like gone away for a while it was it's not like the 90s right like in the 90s you had independence day you had men in black you had wild wild west like will smith had it had like he had a moment where he could be in anything and like that movie was going to do big business right the bad boy movies like it, whatever he was in was going to do massive business and big box office and stuff like that by 2016 he's had more misses than hits by that point mm-hmm. and you know, he was going to be in Django Unchained and he ends up exiting the project and Jamie Foxx is the guy who ends up doing it. And uh, he had good reason for doing it. I think his criticism of Django Unchained was he didn't feel like Django was the main character in that, that he thought mm-hmm. Christoph Waltz's character is actually the one that feels more like the main character. So he he just wasn't going to be in it because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, skipping something like that, it kind of just takes him further out of like, you know like mainstream focus and 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 you know he he and margot robbie did do the movie i think called focus um, they did, yeah yeah the year before and it's like i don't know it's just it feels like it feels like will smith was coming in at a point where his moment had kind of passed and it feels like you and i watch wrestling right mm-hmm. <laughs> it feels like an old wrestler from the 90s coming back and trying to do his old shtick, and then you're like, yeah, this is better when I was like 10 years old, and it was mm-hmm. like 99. <laughs> it's not really good anymore. Uh, I feel like we've kind of moved past this at this point. Yep. So, like, I, so I'm okay. I'm okay leaving Will Smith uh, in 2016. Yeah. So <laughs> it's alright. I think it'll just help. But I mean, I've always wanted to see him do more things, like. So it'll be interesting to see him kind of fit in. Like it yeah. feels weird. It feels like Bloodsport is literally just Deadshot, but you know, I mean, I'm hoping that that's not the case because I agree. It feels like we're replacing one beloved black actor with another one, and we're basically <laughs> gonna have them 
played the same character with a different name. <laughs> yeah, and I'm afraid that's what's going to happen. I haven't read or seen anything that claims that. Well, I'm going to have to just wait till I watch the movie. Right. But um, um, Another yeah, character back. who does not come back, who was, I guess, heavily featured in this because of her connection to Rick Flagg, is Dr. June Moon, who essentially becomes the main villain in this uh, because she is the Enchantress. Mm-hmm. who is a interdimensional demon witch which you know this is the thing about um about dc comics is that there's a lot of like wizards and witch and magic like there's a lot of magic and that kind of stuff in that universe i, I mean, feel like marvel is a lot more marvel's a lot more like space and like mutants and like that kind of stuff there is literally doctor strange and the sanctum sanctorum yeah that's true which is all magic that's there's true. literally an entire show about scarlet Witch. <laughs> yeah that's true i yeah 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 you're right you're right but you know what i think it is it's done differently because marvel doesn't put as much of a focus on its supernatural world it does have a supernatural world, but it does now. It, it, and, and you're right. And I hadn't even thought about that, but you're but you're absolutely correct. I, I feel like uh, Marvel has definitely leaned a lot more. It's I think it's because those are characters that weren't really like they, they weren't characters you thought of when you thought of Marvel. <laughs> well, you know what it was was I think Ultimate Marvel had a big reason for that. You mm-hmm. know, just quick just quick segue. Oh so, yeah. No. You know, po- yeah, post nine eleven. Lest we sound like Marvel haters, let's yeah. let us let us give them their due <laughs> and not like say things that'll get have people want to fucking kill us on our DC episode. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, listen, like post nine eleven, Ultimate Marvel became a real big thing, and that's like you know Avengers fighting terrorists and shit like that. Um, but and that's kind of where they wanted to take mainstream Marvel, ground it more in realism, and that's kind of what it in, uh, inspired more of the Avengers uh than you know uh mainstream marvel did because the plots in avengers one is literally the ultimate mm-hmm. but anyway uh the thing is uh in ultimate marvel they really wanted to take a lot of the magic um a lot of the magic parts out so because of that a lot of people in the early aughts into the mid aughts don't really put too much focus on like the magic characters even though there was still a lot of magical storylines going on during the mid-aughts but it's like because everything in early mcu drew from ultimate marvel i think that's kind of why we don't really think about marvel magical marvel taking place especially now that cosmic marvel is kind of like a big thing now and especially with thanos and loki which is also kind of magical but then it also has a lot of cosmic marvel in it uh, the thing about DC, DC doesn't care. DC is like we have mega, like these mega robot aliens punching a stupid wizard in the face, and you're gonna enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> like literally, DC is a six year old grabbing a bunch of toys <laughs> and making mouth noises <laughs> as they just smashes them together. <laughs> But then, like, you get a panel of, like, character <laughs> development being like, I suffered a lot of trauma when my parents passed away. <laughs> this movie feels exactly what you like that as well. It's literally just a six-year-old kid grabbing a bunch of toys, making mouth noises. <laughs> And then you and then you have a reaction shot of El Diablo being like, I killed my family. <laughs> <laughs> it just got super 
super dark for no reason. Yeah. All right. This movie doesn't really have much of a story. Can I say that? It's a really short movie. It's like there's it's two, two hours. It's yeah, like yeah, yeah. Short. Hey, a lot of comic book movies are now two and a half to three hours to four hours oh. for those of us who watch the, the, the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League. Yeah. But um, and just in terms of what's going on in the plot, like it's not very complicated. It's not yeah. like we're not talking about the Winter Soldier here. <laughs> you know what? I'm, it's literally the first 20 minutes is Expo Dump introducing the characters. And I was just talking to my roommate about this and I was really pissed off about it. Imagine if the opening to this film was the Suicide Squad or entire cast being tortured this might be a little bit much for some people i understand that but the opening scene is the entire suicide squad's getting tortured trying to find out who sent them on a mission refusing to give up waller and right when they're lined up to about to get uh, executed and you know you get to see every character and you get kind of like an intro to the characters as what they're going through um but then like as they're about to get like essentially executed like lights turn on and you find out it's Amanda Waller and you find out that they were sent on their first mission and it was like it went to shit because it was a it was actually the final test to see if they would give up like if they would give up their handler and that's mm-hmm. how we're introduced to the suicide squad instead of being like here's a 20 minute here's this person and now this person and now this yeah. person you there's know? no way that there's no way that David Ayer's original cut of this movie was this introduction where you're I'm, literally just flipping through pages. Like, I'm sure there was, a, there, there's a, there is an Amanda Waller, like, telling people who these people are, mm-hmm. but there's no montages. Like, there was no way that they would, that this was done in montage in the original movie. Like, you literally could, the original cut of this could have been, like, just her describing who these people are, which that works just fine. But it's, again, it's the montage, music video, like, shitty commercial editing of it that kind of just like makes you disinterested in all of it um we whatever it just does all this bullshit to get everyone into the same place yeah. a lot of these guys are locked up in i thought it was bell reeve but they call it bell rev i think here i think it's just how the front it depends what part of the world you're from if you're french if you're like not french you probably called it bell reeve if you're from you know, France, you probably say Bell Rev. If you're from Louisiana, you probably say Bell Rev or some shit. <laughs> oh, I don't know. All right. But um <laughs> but, but pretty much what sells the government on using these supervillains as um as essentially assets for the government mm-hmm. uh, for these missions is that in front of a boardroom full of like all these high ranking officials and and generals, Amanda Waller asked Dr. Judy Moon to turn into an enchantress in front of them. And I love the transformation. Mm-hmm. It's like, you see the hand come out very like, very the conjuring like. Yeah. <laughs> and her hand flips and all of a sudden she turns into the enchantress and she becomes this witch, uh, which just, I, I like her design. I'm not a huge fan of the character. Like, <laughs> um, The only thing that I don't like about the character is that she just doesn't feel like much of a character. No, not at all. She's just like MacGuffin. Like, does she and barely, then, like, does she have much dialogue in this? Like, I don't no. even, I couldn't even tell you, like, what her lines of dialogue were in this. Not until the last, like, 20 <laughs> minutes of the movie. Like, it, feel, it feels like they're, like, it feels like she's just kind of there. I also really. don't understand why Rick Flagg cares about her so much. 
Like Cause... that's the other thing that's just the biggest problem I have with this movie is the character of Rick Flag and why he's so in love with this character. Like there is no reason for it. You know, like when we talked about in well, the Heights and we uh-huh. talked about how like just the story like kind of it it tells you what's supposed to happen, but you don't feel any of it. This is like a million times worse, right? It's just mm-hmm. the movie's just trying to beg you to like to, to be like, oh well they love each other. And it's like, well, I don't fucking care. Well the movie <laughs> actually deposits something very evil and awesome if you love Amanda Waller the way you and I do, mm-hmm. but essentially it deposits that she knows that there's a high likelihood that Rick flag was going to get a boner for Dr. Judy moon for whatever reason. <laughs> and so she made him be his, on his security detail so that he can bar essentially bodyguard her like mm-hmm. Kevin Costner and, you know, Tina Turner did. Yeah. She's, that- she's, she's absolutely villainous. And she's really villainous in this. I love it. I really do. Like she fucking shoots agents, federal Ooh, agents. In this. Gosh, I forgot about that part. <laughs> but yeah, so she's like she's banking on the fact that Rick Flag and Judy Moon are gonna bump uglies and fall in love. And I was like, that's so evil. <laughs> yeah. So she's so she like you know has her has the witch's heart in a briefcase, and that's what allows them to uh, control this meta. And if she and, never wants, if she ever wants to not do anything, they just stab at the heart until she does it. Which is so fucking violent, right? Like it's so <laughs> funny, dude. But yeah, like in order they win, in in order to finally like really get people to get behind Task Force X, is that she asks uh, the witch, or she asks the enchantress to go to like Tehran in Iran, and goes in and essentially steals like a dossier to mm-hmm. bring back that has a bunch of like like hidden information and like covert information on like like Iran's like defense ministry, <laughs> <laughs> and she just like shows up, grabs it, and dips, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we definitely need a metahuman team," <laughs> <laughs> and then essentially what moves the or what starts the action for this movie is that while they're in midway city i guess that's where they were meeting and talking to all these uh officials um one night and the enchantress just kind of takes over judy's body when she's asleep and june June, sorry i mean yeah i know colored like judy twice but yeah she takes over june wait is it june 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 moon Moon. oh my god that's stupid Anyway, <laughs> she takes over June's body and then she ends up um and when Rick Flag tries to stop her, he like gets this vision of like him holding June's like corpse essentially, mm-hmm. which makes him stand down and she disappears. And during this time we find out she goes into Midway City's like metro system and ends up possessing a dude. Mm-hmm. Or she ends up taking uh she ends up taking like this weird uh statue kind of like what what hold what held her soul when uh June Moon found her in some like crypt or something like that. Mm-hmm. And she ends up breaking the breaking the doll and having someone like smell the contents and ends up turning into her brother who is just this like giant male version of her. I don't even know if they even give a give him a name. No, I don't know if they do, but oh, they do. I think his he refers is... to her as her brother. Well, yeah, they say that's her brother, but his mm-hmm. name is Incubus. 
So our two main villains are Enchantress and Incubus. And one, and uh, while they're trying to get him, uh, after she turns Incubus uh, or she brings back Incubus, he starts kind of like setting up a, a staging area. He starts like corrupting people, turning people into monsters. There's this cool effect where whenever he shoots those weird tentacles at people, it leaves like residue and it like cuts people in half, but it cuts them clean. And it just looks like their parts of their body got blown back. Like it's just really cool. And it really changes kind of, and you know, like they had to put in time and make the set, like, and the set looks really dope for it. Um, and when uh, Rick Flag tries to, uh, you know, he get he manages to get a Navy SEAL team together and him and the Enchantress try to get the drop on Incubus, but this is when she ends up turning on, um, ends up turning on Rick Flag and almost killing him by setting off a detonation charge that only has two seconds to explode. <laughs> he manages to turn it off, but she ends up escaping um, while they're in the, down in the subway system. Uh, when Rick Flag tells Amanda Waller about it, she immediately starts shanking the shit out of her heart, um, almost killing the Enchantress but Incubus is able to transfer his and give her his energy until they can retrieve the heart and she can become fully powered again. Mm -hmm. So that's how they pretty much take the Enchantress out of the action for most of the movie. Um, This causes the, essentially the, the, the big wigs that are running task force X to give the green light and gives everyone the go ahead to get, um, to get the team together. So we get a montage of everyone in Bell Riv getting, uh, you know, getting taken out of their cells and sometimes very violently <laughs> where, you know, you see the shot where Deadshot is like, for some reason he's boxing and he's just waiting for like 20 dudes to come running into his presence cell and he, he thinks he can fight them off. Um, same thing with Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn tries to fight off some dudes until she gets tased. Um, and the same thing with, uh, with Killer Croc. So Killer Croc become, he's kind of like our big I am Groot character, like, even though he's not CGI. So, yeah, my understanding was that originally David Ayer wanted King Shark to be in this, but, uh, that I guess they didn't have the CGI budget or whatever. And they ended up using Killer Croc as kind of a stand in. Which I would have been cool with, and I like the I like the the practical makeup they use to make Killer Croc. I do too. Uh, my biggest issue, though, is that they didn't get someone taller. And the problem is that my you know the the, <laughs> the problem is Killer Croc is supposed to be this big hulking guy, and while the dude is, you know I'm not gonna lie the the guy that played him, uh, Ottawale. Oh God, why am I blinking on his last name? Anyway. Um. Yeah, the guy that ended up playing him is like a big dude in way better shape than me. Adewale, uh, I'm not even. I'm gonna mess up his last name. I can know you. I can know you. Um. So he like he's a big dude, and I think when he was playing this role, he was like 48 years old or something like that, and he was like in good shape. The problem is that he's like the same height as Brick Flag or the same height as Deadshot, and. I'm kind of okay with that, though, because, like, you know, this is more of the, at least in this way, it's kind of the grounded, like, he's not a big hulking monstrosity like he is in a lot of the comic books. He, it, The idea is that Killer Croc is supposed to be someone who 
you know, had a skin disorder. Um, mm -hmm. And Waller mentions that, you know, he was someone who looks like a monster. So they treat him like a monster and he's yeah. a cannibal. So it's like it, it gives it gives it a bit more of that. Re it's kind of like the Joker thing, right? It's like you could like it or yeah. don't like it. It's just the movie's kind of going more for this kind of street level villain stuff. And then the part where it's kind of confusing, too, is just it, it's it's the part where it gets sloppy is that you're mixing these kind of street level characters or like more dark kind of like gritty characters with more of these fantastical characters and i feel like the movie doesn't really know how to do that very well no not i think that's a good way of putting it you have a lot of street toughs and hitmen that are trying to fight something that's an avengers level threat mm -hmm. or a justice league level threat and it just doesn't like it's hard it's a very it's a very weird line to walk and right. this movie doesn't know what kind of team movie it wants to be you know no um their initial mission i guess is to go grab like a person who they need it's an extraction mission right yeah um and they it's it's the reason why they're in midway city and once they get there you know you get like all the characters you know you get your which happens in every suicide squad story where it's like one of the characters doesn't believe that they've been injected with an explosive device and it always happens uh you know where you get the one character that like it's like all right well i'm gonna go ahead and escape and bye suckers and you know and as, fuckers. <laughs> and as they're leaving they get blown up <laughs> yeah you have slipknot who's a mercenary apparently um he gets brought in by the fbi he's the first <laughs> one to get murdered because he doesn't believe in the in the bombs in their necks kind of gets goaded by like captain boomerang like you know, know. all right we're both gonna get out of here and then it's like he's the one who actually does it boomerang just watches him get blown up i'm sorry do you mean captain kano <laughs> <laughs> um i love jack courtney in this by the way i love no, that no, he's great i love that he's one of the characters that's gonna come back because i feel like we haven't had enough of like we haven't had enough of him yet and i legit like hope that he comes back in the flash like I hope I, they find a way to just squeeze him in there. If nothing else, then like for a Cillian Murphy kind of like Scarecrow opening in Dark Knight, like mm -hmm. like just like a if nothing else, a short scene. It's just he's a character that I want more of. You know who I wanted more of, and I'm not gonna get more of because this movie's garbage and it hates me. <laughs> El Diablo. Yeah, I can't wait. I, I do want to argue about this. One of the problems I have with this movie is that you know you have. Diablo, who's like you know a Mexican character, and mm -hmm. you have Katana, who's a Japanese character, <laughs> and you also have Slipknot, who's Native American, and these characters are given very little, if anything, to do mm -hmm. in this movie. Um, I love the backstory that we get eventually from Diablo. I'm gonna say this: there's a scene in this movie where all the villains, because. It doesn't really make sense to go through a scene by scene in a lot of ways. I just, mm -hmm. it, again, it's such a paper thin story, but there is a scene in this that's great where after they've all extracted Amanda Waller, they find out that she's the person who they were supposed to extract. They all realize that they're like, you know, kind of being bullshitted and being set up as like, you know, the fall people, like specifically in this mission. And Waller is going to be the one that gets away. Um, you know, and then Rick Flag's like, look, we have to finish the mission. We have to save June for, you know, but it's like, 
no one's really with him because you know he was basically being like uh how do i put it adversarial towards them the entire movie mm-hmm. um not really trusting any of them so you know he he's kind of he's he's the guy who's ostracized from the rest of the team they all go into this abandoned bar inside of uh you know inside of mid what is it mid city or midway midway city midway yeah. city and uh you know harley serves them all drinks and they have a conversation this is good this scene is good and i would venture to guess if i'm rewriting this movie if you give me like the task of rewriting this movie i make this like you you introduce the characters and you just don't give much of their backstory this mm-hmm. is the scene where you kind of start to get more of their backstory. I would put it in the middle where all of these people are basically sitting at a bar and you spend a prolonged period of time in a bar having a conversation where they're telling you about their lives. Give them a Tarantino-esque diner scene <laughs> where they just get to talk and we get to get to know these characters. And I know because... a lot of people don't like that, but I'm I'm a huge fan. Like, you know, we've talked about it on this podcast before. I'm a huge fan of single location movies, and I'm not saying that we should have a single location movie where they're all here. But just think of something like Assault on Precinct 13, right? Mm-hmm. Which is like... If you want a if you want a good template, and I'm talking about the original assault in Precinct 13, mm-hmm. if you want a really good template for a you know law officer and villain, you know, or criminal who are basically forced to work together in a kind of circumstances, that's kind of a that's what you want. And what works in that movie is that because all of these characters are stuck in a single location, they basically have to talk to each other. And that's where they kind of learn to see eye to eye with each other. Well, I mean, we in got a, a little better bit of- movie. Deadshot and Rick Flagg will do this and it will be in this scene. And the movie tries to do it here, but it just feels mute. The Outside movie of the tries- Diablo scene, it just doesn't do much. The movie tries to do this on several occasions in the entire time. I'm like, why? In the initial battle, like in that first battle when they go into Midway City and they first fight those weird zombie things, like those weird creepy, um, like if you have the weird phobia about circles, they're like yeah, like they they, like they, they look like they look like bubbles that are just they ready look to like burst. that right. So when they're fighting those things in the beginning, and like for some fucking reason, all of a sudden, like. After after Flag tells Deadshot, I know your type. You're the type to cut and run when the fighting starts. Um, like the entire time they're adversarial, but then for some reason Deadshot takes an uh, takes an interest and in is trying to be Rick Flag's friend <laughs> to the point where he goes up to the front of the battle and starts shooting everyone. Like all the all the zombies as they're coming in, like pretty much saving the Navy SEALs. And the entire time, I'm like, why? Yeah, There's it literally... doesn't feel like anything that Deadshot would do. It feels like something that they would want a Will Smith character to do. Like, yeah. it's what producers would want a Will Smith character to do. And you know, like... we want we can make him evil, but let's not make him too evil because people like Will Smith. People think Will Smith is cool in the nineties. Yeah, <laughs> but it's just like it's just they don't want to make him too evil. And they, it, that's the problem, right? With because Suicide Squad is supposed to be villains who are kind of anti-heroes not by their own choice they're being forced to do it but Mm -hmm. they are getting things done that are going to save the world right 
Um, and and it, what I was going to say is like, the thing is, if you got that bar scene that you were talking about earlier in the film mm-hmm. and there was an understanding where maybe Deadshot is like, hey, man, I understand you really care about your girl the same way I care about my daughter. I'll help you. And if Rick Flagg was like, then I'm going to help you try to get, you know, see your daughter more. Suddenly yeah. there's a relationship or a connection between those two. It would make sense why Deadshot is sticking his his neck out for him more. Mm-hmm. Instead of literally saying the line like four times, if he dies, we die. Like, that was the most annoying thing. Is like <laughs> They were trying to make them feel like they're all close and they're all becoming this family like in Fast and the Furious. <laughs> Another David Iyer movie. Oh my god. <laughs> like They're trying to make them become this family to the point where it's just, it makes no sense because nothing has happened to really bond these people to actually care about each other. Mm. All they've done is they've been fighting together. And the only person that really brings them all together is, like you said, is El Diablo. But the and thing is, I'll be totally honest, the missions that they're being sent on, there's nothing about this that like that necessitates a group of villains to do it. Right? Isn't that isn't that and that's kind of the problem here. Is it yeah. doesn't feel it doesn't feel like a, a mission that requires Suicide Squad. Not at all. This is something, if anything, it feels like the Suicide Squad's out of their depth here. Yeah. And <laughs> and the weird thing about it, and this one I was telling my roommate when we were watching it. The thing is, I hate, like I refuse to believe at, that Amanda Waller, as like prepared and as smart as she is, didn't somehow know that, um, that uh, Enchantress went AWOL for a night. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I think it's really dumb that pretty much because uh, Amanda Waller fell asleep, that the Enchantress like pretty much jump started this whole story. And what I much rather have preferred is if um, Incubus and en- Enchantress pretty much took over the city because, say, there was a general who would disagreed with the Task Force Act so much mm-hmm. that he started a plan that was going to sabotage it and prove that it was meant to implode from the beginning, <laughs> you know? You know what I'm thinking of? What? <laughs> Anytime we think about generals that are going against the interests of the United States, Triple X State of the oh Union, baby. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot even me that, now. Even that movie feels more like a Suicide Squad worthy mission than this shit does. Except, you know, the Suicide <laughs> Squad was the streets. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Ice um, exhibit. <laughs> All right. I'll never, I'll never reference that movie again. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate you. <laughs> All right. So, um, you know, again, the Joker cycles in and out of this. He feels like he's in a completely different movie. You know, you get the flashback of him and Harley from, you know, Harley throwing herself in the chemicals, Joker going after her, and which is just like, okay, whatever, right? It's just like a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one is, is I guess Joker is going to break Harley out of the Suicide Squad out of the mission that she's on um like via helicopter so while Mm. they were on this mission to extract waller you know and deadshot somehow already knows that she's gonna be (laughs) she's gonna be like removed from this situation wants to go with her but all of a sudden when joker does show up and is ready to take harley out deadshot all of a sudden doesn't want to go anymore (laughs) because he's committed to the mission because he's got something (laughs) to prove that he's not 
a piece of shit. Like that's literally his, that's literally his his mentality. Mm-hmm. His mentality is like, I want my daughter to know that I'm not a piece of shit all the time. Yeah. And it's like, dude, it is so out of line. It's so out of character to what Deadshot is supposed to be. (laughs) He's this sociopath sniper. And it's like, all of a sudden, he's like, no, I just want my, I want my daughter to be proud of me. And it's like, you're a fucking serial killer, dude. Like, why? Yeah. Like, if you're thinking about it in, in, in the comic sensibility, Deadshot is kind of like what Bruce Wayne could have been. Like, he is someone who's had tragedy in his life. But, you know, turns to guns as like it, it is part of what he does. Right. Like he, mm-hmm. he is he's a bloodthirsty revenge monster. Uh, he's like the Punisher. I love him. <laughs> he's Second Amendment, man. But it's just like this again. This movie is just because it's Will Smith. They just don't want to make him too evil. And he just he has to be altruistic for reasons unknown in this. So uh <laughs> I'm sorry, I really tickled myself with Second Amendment, man. <laughs> like, he's just sitting in a Ford F-150 with Oakley's on <laughs> And then he sees, like, a Glock 9 mil, like, light turn on in the sky, and he's like, wait, my city needs... <laughs> <laughs> then he logs off of Twitter where he goes on Ben Shapiro. Right? Okay, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> this is probably closer to comics Deadshot than Will Smith is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sadly. All right. Okay, so after uh, Harley Quinn gets away, her helicopter immediately gets shot down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, what was it? The Joker ends up shoving her out of the helicopter in order to save her, I guess. I guess, yeah. And then the helicopter ends up crashing and uh, Harley's left to assume that the helicopter is and the Joker. Like the helicopter exploding uh, led to the Joker's death. So she ends up joining the Suicide Squad again, which mm-hmm. means, which like, again, this Joker shit like has nothing to do with anything and probably shouldn't have even been here so forced it's it's so bizarre man and i know at one point people had asked david Ayer too like if he thought that joker should have been the villain in suicide squad and he's even said that if he had a chance to rewrite it he probably would have made joker the main villain <laughs> i'm okay with that I yeah really i mean it would have been a, it would have been a more like street level like kind of action like kind of movie it would have been mm. a little it would have been a lot less uh you know uh supernatural in that way or you know that kind of stuff but again yeah. it's just it, it's something that doesn't really like it's the bar scenes comes after that and then it's like now they're all friends and we're all still, like basically family with each other after this still, bar scene for reasons kind of unknown dumb. yeah <laughs> like the fact that like it was funny when diablo's like oh, i can't i hate using my powers because the one time i did use them I murdered my family and then I like how like mind you Mind you that Harley is still a trained psychotherapist. <laughs> yeah. Her response is, you own that shit. <laughs> Just be like, stop being a little bitch. What'd you think? You were going to live a normal life. <laughs> I mean, she's right. <laughs> I mean, she's right, yeah. But at the same time, like, shut up. <laughs> the man is bearing his soul. But you I'm know sorry, what? At again. least he gets that. And I, and I do think that like his character is severely underutilized like the most underutilized or the second most but katana's even more underutilized oh, like she has such an interesting like story 
Uh, she's awesome in in Bat like she was in Batman the Animated Series. She was mm-hmm. in Arrow. Like she's been in stuff and 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 is a really neat, cool character. But it's like in this movie, outside of the costume, it's she does nothing. She's literally there just to speak Japanese and stab things. Yeah, like the only line that she even has is when they're all inside the bar and like you know. Harley makes some sort of, no, uh, Deadshot makes some sort of toast to, like, you know, thieves, honor among thieves or something like that, which is corny. <laughs> but oh he does that, and then, uh, she, you know, she basically says, well, I'm not a thief. But it's she like, but what are you? We don't know anything about you. We're told you're an assassin, but the story gives, and this is kind of a Hollywood problem, right? It's just yeah. like, we're going to cast all of these people and turn this into some sort of multiracial, like, diverse cast but we're still only going to feature like, I guess Will Smith is kind of like the exception in this, but even outside of that dead shot, like montage in the beginning, like it's just like, he, he feels like more of a caricature than an actual character anyway. After that, every, every other character of color is just kind of in the background or yes. they die. <laughs> like, yeah. It's Will Smith and then non-Will Smith. Every, every other actor of color in this is not Will Smith. And it really sucks because I, you and I have talked about it. Diablo is my favorite, one of my favorite characters mm-hmm. from uh, New 52 Suicide Squad. And like, he's not coming he, back. He's he's unfortunately one of the ones that just is not going to return because of his fate. Because he's very underutilized. He's very, um, you know, he just has such a compelling story. He has a compelling arc where he's like, I don't want to use my powers because I accidentally killed somebody with them, someone I cared about. And then finally, like, he gets goaded into using them. And when you do see him, he literally, like, torches all those zombies. To <laughs> and you're just like, this guy's fucking badass. Like, I want to see more of him. And then it's like, no, that like, they can't even give us that. And it's like, and, and I'm literally of the mentality that whenever El Diablo isn't on uh, isn't on screen, everyone should be asking, "Where's El Diablo? He can fix this by himself." <laughs> like he's just such a cool character. I love the fact that when they tell everyone to suit up, literally he just dresses up like he's from Foo's Gone Wild, and he's just good to go. <laughs> <laughs> everyone else has like tactical gear and costumes, and he just puts out a like a pair of Dickies and Cortezes, and he's like, "I'm good. Let's go, Foo." Again, it is the worst Hispanic stereotyping, you know, it's... And yeah, 100%, I agree, it is really shitty Hispanic stereotyping, but it's like, if they would have committed to the character the way the comic books do, it's like he becomes so much better. Right, and and, it, and that's the sad part about the bar scene, is the bar scene is like the one moment where it feels like he's going to be more of a, you know, like, character who it's going to be worth watching him, like, kind of you know make good for all the bad that he's done in his life and it's just like he sacrifices himself in this but for what right like it just doesn't feel like it's you killed your family and what you're sacrificing yourself for villains like yeah for all these scumbags like what the fuck it's one thing if they went on a bunch of missions together and they were closer but it's just like it's just one conversation in a bar and all of a sudden you guys are like Best friends. You guys are best friends, like the cast of Fast and Furious. Like <laughs> you're, all, you're some sort. So what are we? Some sort of family. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but because I know that you know, the Fast and the Furious is a David Ayer script. It's just like yeah, it makes I couldn't. It I couldn't stop thinking about it, and it's like, you know, in the problem, the thing that makes it different is Fast and Furious has had like multiple movies to like 
to to create the relationships between these characters so at least it feels more like true where it's mm-hmm. like this just feels false and and it sucks like you said because it is a character that you care about it's a character that i think is cool and that when that just should have been better featured in maybe david ayer's original version of this mm-hmm. <laughs> like if david ayer made the david ayer suicide squad like this is more in line with the character that would be in training day yeah right 100%. like it just is it just it, it's it's more of a character that you would you would see in one of his films so at, yeah so after the bar scene everyone kind of regroups and after this magical moment everyone shared in the bar they decide like rick flag breaks the he breaks the the pad that he was using to control their um to control their neck bombs um i believe the incubus's like forces end up taking waller so that that way they can use everything she knows to attack like key places in in the united states um pretty much using her knowledge to kind of destroy the country and so that's our that's our that's our um that's our stakes now is that now they got to save the world from america or america is the world i don't know anyway so they go to the subway station to confront um to june and uh incubus where she uses her mind manipulation powers to give everyone what they wanted to see what they want the most like for Deadshot, it was the night he got arrested that he actually killed the bat and managed to stay with his daughter. Um, that Joker finally married Harley Quinn. That uh, El Diablo, like it was living a life with his uh, girl and his uh, and his two kids. And we <laughs> we get the line where she's like, "After I put the kids down, do you want to kick it?" And I don't know why that tickled me so much. Um, but yeah, like, you know, during this time, it's like the, the Suicide Squad and the what's left of the Navy SEALs that originally went in kind of like all take on their parts. Uh, Killer Croc and Scott uh, Eastwood aren't with the main group because uh, Scott Eastwood is going to deploy the uh, explosive charge and Killer Croc went to go help him uh, underwater. So it's like while they're fighting off these or while they're fighting off the zombies, um the rest of the group is kind of being attacked by or they're being um kind of manipulated by enchantress however el diablo breaks through the uh he ends up breaking through the mind control and realizes that his family's gone he can't ever bring him back so that's how he knows it's not real so he gets everyone else out of this uh out of this trance and he ends up and, and pretty much like the team after El Diablo says, this is my family now, <laughs> decide to take on uh, en- Enchantress. So she ends up calling an incubus for the fight and he just starts slapping everyone around. And so the team needs to get incubus in like the far left corner of the, of the, of the train station. Cause the plan was to have the explosives deploy under, or, you know, go off under him. And then immediately the Navy SEALs get killed <laughs> And what was it? Um, this is where we get to see the coolest fucking part with El Diablo because he turns into like this Aztec fire god. So it was one of those things where it's like, I didn't know he could do that. So all of a sudden he goes from just this one character to even cooler where he turns into like Aztec ghostwriter. And I'm like, fuck yeah. And so he turns into this like skeleton with the headdress. 
and he's like made of fire and it's like he's actually beating incubus like melting him from the inside out <laughs> yeah like and while they're going at it like at one point incubus starts absorbing uh el diablo's fire and ends up like pinning him to the ground and he decides to sacrifice himself <laughs> by telling the guy to like blow like to telling rick flag to set off the explosive mm-hmm. and so sh- <laughs> i like how no one gives a shit about scott eastwood because scott eastwood literally just puts the explosive and he's like i guess i'll die now and he just pushes the button I super fucking forgot Scott Eastwood was in this shit until I watched it today. (laughs) And he has arguably the worst death because it's like (laughs) I was I was watching it like I tell my roommate I'm like what do you think like it's never addressed like you would think one of the guys would be like so this thing's gonna blow up as soon as we said it are we gonna draw straws for this? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like he, he was literally the only one that committed suicide in the suicide squad <laughs> Scott <Eastwood laughs> is suicide squad <laughs> and the best part is Rick Flagg is more sad about El Diablo dying than Scott Eastwood was <laughs> his fucking partner earlier <laughs> like you're left to assume this guy's been on tours of duty with Scott Eastwood. He goes, you know what it reminds me of? <laughs> you know what it fucking reminds me of? I'm not kidding. Since we're talking about, you know, I do think about Fast and Furious when I watch this. It reminds me of just how fucking quickly the character of Brian O'Connor goes from being like an undercover police officer to just being a fucking racing criminal. Like, it's just, it's, it's that kind of stuff. <laughs> oh my god, what if there's going to be a Suicide Squad crossover with Fast 10? Fast in your <laughs> Oh my god, so after they kill Incubus, um, Killer Croc... <laughs> okay, I forgot to mention this earlier, Killer Croc doing that weird crawl into the water was the stupidest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> just wanted to add that in there. But he ends up coming out um, of the water while the team is getting attacked by Enchantress. He ends up helping them get the um, get the upper hand. But at one point, uh, Enchantress, using her magic, like pulls all the guns away from them, and she essentially like gives him one final chance, like an ultimatum: either join me, serve me, or die. To which Harley Quinn kind of like says, uh, she's too hard to beat, so why not join her? And as like she slowly gets closer, she ends up grabbing the soul taker, the, the sword that belongs to Katana, and ends up slashing uh, Enchantress's chest open and rips out her heart, taking away her power from her. So at this point, Harley Quinn ends up throwing her revolver to, uh, to Deadshot, and Killer Croc throws like a C4 explosive. I don't know what it is, but he ends up like chucking it right at the Marvel blue light in the sky. And Deadshot shoots it, exploding whatever it was that um, the Enchantress was making and essentially cutting her off from her power and like saving the world. Uh, the explosion ends up weakening her and. You know, she claims that uh, that June is already dead, and there's nothing he can do. There's nothing that um, that uh, Flag can do to bring her back. 
Um, so he they end up destroying her art and killing her, making uh, making us and the team believe that uh, Moon is dead now. Uh, but she ends up like ripping off her enchantress skin <laughs> and like laying in the mud, and turns out she's actually alive. So they share a passionate kiss after saying, "I thought I killed you." No, I thought I killed you. So uh, Amanda Waller later comes, uh, finally regains consciousness and tells everyone in the squad that she's taken ten years off their um, off their sentence and kind of rewards everybody uh, with something that they were asking for. So uh, Deadshot gets to go see her daughter, or I'm sorry, his daughter, and, and like he's able to get visitation rights. Uh, Harley Quinn gets her espresso machine that she asked for earlier. Uh, Captain Boomerang gets nothing because fuck him. Killer Croc, I think, finally gets BET and <laughs> just watches TV. Um, but the film actually ends with uh, an explosion in the wall close to Harley Quinn's cell <laughs> and a bunch of like a bunch of like guys in tactical gear killing a bunch of guards and then the Joker saving Harley Quinn. <laughs> the Joker in the SWAT outfit is literally just one of the funniest images in this whole movie. I- I hate that his his patch says JKR on it, <laughs> and I'm just like, the now I'm watching this with my I'm watching this to my roommate, and he goes, "Isn't Bell Reeve like the most secure prison in the world?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Yes, yeah, yes, okay. yes, it is." So I watched Suicide Squad today, but I did watch Batman '66 last night. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that in that, like Batman is trying to, he calls the Navy to find out if they've sold a war submarine <laughs> to anyone. Mm-hmm. And they like, and the Admiral like fucking ends up telling Batman, oh yeah, that's right. We sold a, a pre-World War II wartime submarine <laughs> to a guy named P. N. Gwyn, <laughs> basically Shut the, the Penguin. <laughs> So when I saw that patch, the name patch, it made me think of Batman 66. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. And yeah, roll credits. That's our film. We get a <laughs> that's the that's the note they decide to end this movie on. There's a mid-credit scene where uh Amanda Waller talks to Bruce Wayne. Um and it offering uh government files. Um pretty much like Bruce Wayne's offering to help her in the exchange for some files mm-hmm. on the growing metas in uh, essentially in the DC extended universe because he wants to build his own team. Um, and Amanda Waller essentially insinuates that she knows that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Right. And he insists that, and you know, like well, while talking about secrets, he, uh, he insists that she should shut down Task Force X. Right. So kind of like a little bit of a dick measuring contest and then roll credits again and that's our movie. Boy. Yeah, like basically him telling her your experiment didn't work. Now it's my turn to put my team together. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> dun, dun, fucking A, dude. So um, it was funny. At one point, I, I was while, while watching the movie, my, uh, my roommate was like, I really hate that Killer Croc is so small. He goes, I really want him to be taller. He goes, what's Michael Clark Duncan doing nowadays? And I'm like, nothing. Dude, he's, he's passed away. <laughs> he's super <laughs> passed away. <laughs> My roommate was like, oh, I forgot. 
<laughs> I was like, I'm sorry, did you want dead Michael Clark Duncan to play Killer Croc? Wow. What an awful note like, to end this on, but yeah. here we are. All right, Javi. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you like 2016 Suicide Squad? What an awful note to end on such an awful movie. <laughs> no. No. I don't like this movie. Am I going to rewatch it at some point? probably just to revisit it and hate myself <laughs> like it's just like the, the writing is bad like the story is bad it makes no sense it's paper thin your characters that you do want to see more of or at least that i want to see more of we get nothing from like it felt like all the minority characters were just kind of there for mm-hmm. you know to just kind of like pad out the pad out the, the cast. Uh, cast yeah this movie movie would have been much better if it had an r rating it would have been a better movie if it wasn't this movie (laughs) yes 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 i think i agree with all those things like it's just one of those things where uh, unfortunately and you know i'd like to believe that the david ayers cut is much more grounded and it has a lot of what it wants to do like it knows what it's doing and it knows what kind of movie it's trying to be this movie doesn't know whether it wants to be a superhero team-up movie or a uh, men like a skeleton crew Suicide Squad men on a mission movie, mm-hmm. and it's it straddles the line of both but does neither too well. Yes, and the fact, like honestly, the fact that of your supervillains who are the titular Suicide Squad, literally only like what two of them die. Mm-hmm. Like more more Navy SEALs die than yeah. the actual Suicide Squad, and it's just like it, it it misses a lot. Like there's a lot of like there's the the potential to a lot of fun stuff, but none of it really pays off in a way that matters. Right. Um, that hence why I'm looking forward to the James Gunn movie. I feel like he did a very interesting thing of like padding the cast in a way where there's a lot of people. Which and a lot of nobodies and a lot of Z tier characters, which makes me believe either they're going to get really cool and there's going to be some good shine for these characters, mm-hmm. or they are just neck bomb fodder and Suicide Squad fodder, which is perfectly <laughs> fine either way, honestly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so ultimately, I mean, I, it, it's I'm not, not I don't see myself rewatching this movie, um, and I don't I don't really like it. All right. What about you, Angel? How do you feel? Do you like this movie? No, I don't. Um, I thought I did when I watched it, you know, five years ago when it was in theaters. I, you know, but I just, I haven't. It, it, it's aged very poorly. Um, much like, it feels like the editing is such a reactionary, like just over course correction for the reaction to Batman v Superman, you know, like people, they were already feeling the heat for how bad, you know, this extended universe idea was going to get. Uh, so they went ahead and they got a, they, they got a trailer production team <laughs> to, to edit an entire movie. Uh, and it's just like you said, I think it is, it's hindered by the fact that it's not an R rated movie. It was PG 13 the advantage that this movie is going to have now the James Gunn movie that's coming out is that now we've had stuff like Deadpool. Now we've had the, you know, R rated, um, 
you know, Zack Snyder cut of Justice League. Like people are more accepting of R-rated like comic book movies. And not that I'm saying that Deadpool is the first, because let us remember very carefully that I Blade is the first one of those. Uh, that series is awesome. And that first and second movie are so great. Um, (laughs) yeah, we don't talk about Blade (laughs) 3, but it's just you know, it's really it needed more, and there's just not enough of it in this movie. It feels really compromised, and it's just not you know, like I might come back to it again, but man, it's been so long since I'd seen it, and I just realized how much I'm not missing (laughs) by it. And it does suck that some of the characters we like are not going to be returning, uh, in you know, in the next one. But this next movie is going to give us more of an opportunity to, you know, have my understanding is that Rick Flagg is going to be a much better uh, fleshed out character this time around. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we do get this David Ayer cut. It's not going to change our opinion on, you know, should he have been making more than one Suicide Squad movie? Like, I, it's just much like the Zack Snyder experiment. It's like it's not going to change the trajectory of my life to see it. Yeah. But it is something that's worth seeing now. And you have HBO Max. All you have to do is just get a guy in to recut it. And then you can basically have people watch this. You can make money off the same movie that you've already have in the can. So Because nerds like us will for sure buy the chance to watch that movie. <laughs> right. So. I, I, I know I mentioned it in a... In a I, I mentioned it in a, in a group chat earlier today where it's you know it's bad when task force x and justice league unlimited is a more true version of what suicide squad is (laughs) in the movie itself Mm -hmm. and it really does suck that because i wanted to like this movie like this hit me like just at the right time especially me as a comic book nerd um it hit you at the right time because you were also getting into suicide squad around the same time and it's just unfortunately it was one of those things that should have been like an easy touchdown and it was got fumbled at the one and then returned by a defender for a <laughs> touchdown <laughs> in the opposite way. Mm-hmm. So I would love to and like you said, I really want to reiterate that part is again, don't wanna put don't wanna shit on David Ayers. He's already been shit on enough by other people, and he's you know got i i think he handled it like you know handled it with grace and he didn't shit talk james gunn in fact you know he offered a lot of love to james gunn in the new cast it just you know i do want to see what what he did have and what you know what he's got in the tank and like you said you know i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna keep living my life whether i see it or not but it it would be interesting to see like a good what if scenario Mm -hmm. all right so uh Thanks for joining us for this episode of the show. Uh, we appreciate you guys uh, interacting with us on social media, interacting with us, uh, you know, sending your reviews in on Apple Podcasts and whatever platform you're able to rate the show on to help get our awareness out there. Uh, I'm excited to talk about the Suicide Squad to watch a brand new movie that we're going to get to be discussing next week. Um, and, real quick, uh, real quick, before before we uh, end the episode what new character so none of the four returning characters are you most excited for for uh the suicide squad it feels like right now john cena as the peacemaker is going to be a breakout uh character in this (laughs) it is like i have this feel like between him and king shark you know i love me some king shark (laughs) oh yeah sylvester stallone is king shark in this so (laughs) 
<laughs> so I think between those two, especially in the new trailer where you see like King Shark try to give um try to give Peacemaker a toy made out of like C4 explosive. <laughs> yeah. And he goes, Peacemaker. He goes, that doesn't that's not what I look like. <laughs> yeah. And plus I think I think Peacemaker's getting a series on on HBO Max oh, uh from God. James Gunn and John Cena. So I'm I'm very excited to see how that's gonna turn out. Oh my Jimmy's are rustled. I can't wait for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh we'll appreciate you guys joining us for this episode and we'll talk to you guys next week. All right, take it easy, y'all.